Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show, we're up to episode 23, it's good to be back with you for another week. I am Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. Um, and before we crack on with our regular news list for the week, I think we just wanted to um, acknowledge uh, Lisa's appearance on SBS Insight on Tuesday night. We, I know Lisa might you want us to get... To. I know. I've, I've, I was tempted to warn you before I brought this up, Lisa. I thought it might be nice to su- surprise you. We won't go into it in depth, but I would... I mean, probably a group recommendation instead of one at the end, our individual ones at the end, I think from all of us would be to go on to um, SBS On Demand and... And uh, watch that episode of Insight where Lisa talks about, um, yeah, the uh, the traumatic brain injury suffered by her daughter, Ricky, and the long and continuing road to recovery. You did a fantastic job, Lisa. Thanks, Liam. Lisa. And, and some of the other families as well are amazing in their stories too. Yours is the most amazing. <laughs> but, um... You had the most amazing hair, Lisa. Without yeah, you did. <laughs> you did. And I'm you wore think... makeup. Well, yeah, you go in, they do your makeup, they do your hair, as you very well know from TV experiences. I know, but you used to give me such a hard time about it. I feel like I haven't really had the opportunity to have a go. <laughs> I remember I always used to text you saying, get that slap off your face. I know. And I just, yes. So, Liam, you, you the, I, I mean, I think the funny background here is that Lisa always used to have a go at me about makeup on television because they just sit you down and do it. So I sent her a text not so long ago as I was watching the uh, the repeat of Insight because I didn't see it the first time and I said, you wore makeup. <laughs> <laughs> Such supportive colleagues of the early childhood sector. <laughs> That's right. It's connection. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, well done, Lisa. Let's um, crack on with our news list. So the sort of big news stories over the last few weeks. And there's uh, probably a few ones that have uh, bubbled up and probably the big one of the last week will actually be our main topic for tonight. So we'll touch on that right at the end of the list. But um, one of the, the probably the second biggest story the last week or so has been the federal government's push to uh, essentially ban unvaccinated children from attending Early Childhood Education and Care Centres. Lisa, I know you've been uh, following this story for a little bit. Do you want to give us a bit of an update on where that's at? And I guess um, we might have a chat about it. You know what? It's really weird. Why has Malcolm Turnbull suddenly become, you know, the most impassioned advocate for vaccination? Is it because he's trying to distance his government from um, the Pauline Hanson One Nation Party, given that Pauline Hanson was very anti-vaccination last week before she apologised. So <laughs> I don't know, but what he's um, proposing is that basically if you're unvaccinated, you can't go to childcare or a preschool, um, basically early education care, but he never uses those words. He uses the words childcare and preschool. And um, look, as Leanne mentioned a few weeks ago, her concerns about this, I also have concerns because, um, uh, you know, yeah, there's a a whole reasons why I've got concerns. Basically, um, we've got 93% coverage of children with um, vaccination. It should be a lot higher. Half of those people um, are are not vaccinated. Half of those children are not vaccinated because their families are either poor or socially excluded or have geographic exclusion from being able to um, get vaccination. The other, there's about two to three percent of the, that seven percent who are who are the mad, you know, don't believe in vaccination or believes it gives you, um, you know. Uh, autism but we need to lift our rates i don't think excluding those two to three percent who just can't get it together or who are excluded from early education care is the way to go because basically early education care is needed by people you know by those families the most and you could also argue that it's needed by those families who are so mad that they don't believe in immunization so I don't think he's on the right track, but, um, yeah. And for those who say, haven't we already got this, there is a bit of confusion around. What we've got at the moment can be classified as um, no jab, no pay, so you can't get childcare benefits, etc. What he wants to bring in is what he's calling no jab, no play, 
So basically, no playing at childcare by not even being allowed to go in. So, yeah, he's thinking of strengthening it so that whereas now individual centres can say, no, we're not having children without um, uh, without uh, vaccination in the future, it'll be no, um, no childcare centre will be able to accept them. Yeah, I think there's. A fair, I think you're right. I think it'd be very right to highlight the um the, the timing around the the post pulling hands and stuff. I think there's probably more politics in this than policy because I think I they because he came out so strongly against Pauline Hanson. I think he surprised a lot of people with how strongly he came out um, when Pauline Hanson made um those uh, stupid comments, which I know doesn't narrow it down, but the stupid comments about vaccination in this case. <laughs> um, he came out so strong on that. He they must have done some polling or something that said it was very popular because it was strange for them to suddenly. This, I mean, this issue has been circulating around for a while, for to suddenly come out so strong on it. Um, and it looks like without a huge amount of groundwork, so I don't think any of the states have backed him up on it yet, although there's sort of um, interesting pushes. Yeah, I think this is an interesting one. This one taps into some of my slightly authoritarian tendencies. I tend to automatically agree with anything that will raise vaccination rates. I'm just a hardline believer in science and children's health. But, but, I, so but Liam, I don't so think, Liam, I, yeah, but I don't think this is the way that, I mean, I don't think it's a blunt instrument. any... Yeah. There is no evidence to prove that something like this raises vaccination rates. So it is, you know, and that was what I was saying a few weeks ago about those children that are excluded are the very children who, need, who if engaged, may well get their vaccinations. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. it, this does not do it. This no. is, I think it's, an, I think this is the rort. This is the immunisation <laughs> rort of the world. <laughs> but I think and it, yeah. I, one, 100% I think we're all pro-vaccination is that that's the case. Yeah no sorry I, when, when I specifically yeah. sort of when I say that I, I remember when the no jab no pay and they write I don't know why they have to have it so to so similar names when the no jab no pay stuff came in I did see a lot of commentary from the sector that I'm sorry I shouldn't say a lot a small amount of commentary from probably what I would call a vocal minority of the sector who didn't like the government uh, sort of using this policy lever um, and the, a lot of it was cloaked um, sort of what I would call dangerous uh, views on um, uh, basically parents' rights to refuse vaccination, which um, worry me slightly. I think there's a slight undercurrent in the sector sometimes that sort of cloaks it in children's rights or even in parents' rights, but I think I've got... Yeah, it, 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 it's 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 fact. It, children have to be vaccinated. What I'm what what may fall out of that, and this is a blunt instrument, and it's and it's fairly clear. It's a bit too far, but what hopefully it might well if if all things being equal, what what hopefully would fall out of this is that the sector or you know the, the medical professionals will respond with exactly what you said, Leanne, which is you know there is a group of people here who cannot be reached uh, through the current uh, methods of um, ensuring vaccination. Hopefully they can be identified and then. Um, then there's some specific work done to support them because you're right, for, for families who are experiencing vulnerability or, um, or who have other, you know, who have no, you know, um, stupid objections to being having their children vaccinated but can't, but they, that, that needs to be identified and sorted out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we saw another interesting article uh, over the last week that just talked about um, the some of the... <laughs> Uh, interesting policy decision and interesting funding decisions being made um, by the government in terms of early childhood education and care. And there was a fantastic article by Jessica Irvine in the Sydney Morning Herald, which talks about the fairly woeful funding of a CEQA and the fairly alarming stat that more is going to be more has been budgeted for um, the advertising campaign if the Jobs for Families package gets past the Senate. They've um, they've set aside sixteen million dollars to run an advertising campaign. Which is more than a sequel's entire annual budget of fourteen million, uh, and you know Jessica points out, you know um, that you know assessments are behind. You know, only about I think the estimates at the moment are about uh, a third of centres have been assessed and rated. Um, that that's you know basically you know it's sort of framed around a sequel, but she makes the point that you know just the funding around this is is kind of crazy. And she points out you know really well that you know families are also left sort of in the dark about what's sort of happening in the early childhood sector because they're you know they're so far behind and so poorly funded. And you know she gives a bit of a shout out to the Starting Blocks website, 
which is you know sort of there, which is uh, you know okay, but you know it's clearly um, not the not the wide ranging tool I would it could be. I'd love to know how many hits it has a year. Just be careful because I was involved in the development of that. Oh, Hold on there. I would still love to know how many hits it had a year. Oh, the, uh, uh, there's nothing. There's nothing bad in the content, Leanne. All so it could be could benefit. For, it could have benefited some more funding. I'm guessing. Oh, there, was a, a... there was a group that came together to say it was a yeah, it was a good idea. I just had a whole heap of um, younger family members start at early education and care centres. They didn't even know that services were rated, much mm. less that you know there was a starting box website, and they all sent their children for a week or two to G8 centres and then surprisingly decided they didn't want to go back to work. Oh. <laughs> but I think right. it's like, but I mean, that, that, that is a pretty good headline in terms of that they're going to spend more on the advertising than the actual regulation of the sector. But I was just thinking about the numbers there as well. So $16 million for the advertising campaign. Does that include the sort of marketing to the sector about the changes and information on adjusting to the new IT system? Or is that budgeted separately as well. It's good, it could actually be more than that. Oh, you don't need to tell the sector anything about it. <laughs> it's just promotional stuff, no no professional development. Uh, yeah, it's not clear. It just says, I mean, it's, it, it, the article suggests marketing, but they may wrap, yeah, I guess sector, I guess they might term that marketing in as well. But, it'd be other, but it could be actually far no, more than I, 16 million. I think it would be just um, marketing, uh, sorry, not marketing, Ads. Public education to parents, yeah. you know, saying you've got to do this or don't do this or yeah. it's no longer called CCB and CCR, it's called ACTS or whatever it's called. Early childhood, subsidy, early learning subsidy. Yeah. All right. No, uh, that was a few versions. Oh, of is there something different oh. now? Oh, God. Okay. Who can keep, who can yeah. keep track? Um, and then I think, Leanne, you're going to talk to us about the last one, about some recent um, research on resilience or grit, as it's called in the article. Yes. Well, um, because I have accessed the Australian too many times, I can't actually get the article up on my screen. So I'm, <laughs> going, to go from, I'm going to go from Simon Birmingham's uh, media release, which might be a little bit... Uh, There's no paywall on those, which is good. Well, no. No, as a matter of fact, they invite you to, to read them. <laughs> Um, but this, I mean, there's a couple of reasons, obviously, for this, and this is uh, based around some of the outcomes of the um, Australian Early Development Census, measuring children's vulnerabilities. And what this has found is that while some children suffer vulner struggle with vulnerabilities in some areas on the census, in others they're showing increased resilience, um, which kind of probably makes sense because where you're vulnerable you do develop some of those um you know you do develop resilience in order to overcome those vulnerabilities uh, but it's saying that this the resilience factor is coming through strongly in the in the data um in some of the communities which are you, you know which probably do struggle with the vulnerabilities regional and remote areas but the kicker is that Simon Birmingham is saying that obviously the early education that has been uh, really pushed heavily since 2009, in his in his view, um, is what's contributing to this resilience. And seriously, if the Senate will just pass the legislation, then children will not have those vulnerabilities uh. in the future. So it's you know I, th I think all power to the development of resilience because it is actually a you know an incredible strength for children and for families however i think um this is not something that you can link to the reforms which are clearly going to sideline a number of children yes they will have increased resilience because they will have to have it because they won't have access to early childhood <laughs> education that's right. So, maybe, you know, maybe that's the maybe that's the plan. <laughs> that's a it's genius. That's right. It's genius. Res resilience is all that matters. It's character building. Cut, cut that's right. Let's build up the characters of those little ones in the regional <laughs> remote areas. Anyway, oh. that's the um, yeah. So so I I think whilst it is excellent that that increased resilience is there, um, the the framing of that perhaps from Simon Birmingham is a little. I'm a little cynical about it. Mm. 
Yes, I remember he tweet gleefully tweeted that out as well, and I think we had some. Um, I, th- I think we had some views for him on on that as well. Yes, given that the people who probably most benefit from the concept he's talking about are likely to be excluded by the reforms. Yes. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, but obviously, the big news uh, that's come out in the last week was the uh, announcement that uh, Kate Ellis, who's currently the shadow minister for early childhood education. Um, and has previously been the Minister for uh, Early Childhood Education in the previous Labor governments, um, won't be contesting the next election and will be standing down um, and, uh, yes, not, not, you know, not continuing um, into government if Labor win the next election, which is uh, actually fairly big news for the sector. Kate Ellis has been um, you know, one of the key uh, policy decision-makers um, and advocates, at least from a political perspective, in terms of labour for early child education for quite a long time. Um, we won't... I don't think we'll get into any, um, you know, sort of the specific articles here because um, we're actually planning to sort of discuss uh, Kate Ellis's legacy and history and, and, and her decision as our main topic for tonight. But we will link to... I think almost everyone has published... Every opinion writer in Australia has, has found something to say on this uh, this topic, um, I think we'll probably you know get into the details during the main discussion. But was there a particular piece either of you two wanted to highlight or or, or send people to? <clears throat> Look, I, d- I think everyone should you know if you've got the chance, read all of the ones that we've put up. Interestingly, every famous feminist um, has said this is all about being a woman. And Kate Ellis said, this has got nothing to do with being a woman. And you know what? I don't quite believe her. I think that it does. So, yeah. Read hers, read what the others say, and then you make up your minds. I think, but I think it also highlights um, how different people address, and, and, and that's a bit of a cold word, but how they address the challenges of um of parenting, and yeah. of um, the emotional pull, and I think it was the the was it in one of those articles, the pull of the tiny face, or so. Yeah, that was Jacqueline Mullaney's the enormous yeah. pull of the tiny face. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's very interesting how we all um, go through our experience of parenting and the decisions that we make, and I think if this, if anything this has demonstrated that there are different um, responses to being a parent and specifically in this case being a mother. I do I agree with you about that, um, Lisa. And I think that no one has uh, exactly the same experience and that's why we need multiple solutions to childcare. Yeah. So before we segue seamlessly into the main topic for the discussion tonight, we'll just say that's the uh, that's the end of the news list and we'll be, be uh, back tackling the big pieces next week. But let's move on now to, yes, we're going to talk about uh, Kate Ellis's decision um, we're going to sort of talk about the decision itself before then talking about, I guess, her, her legacy in terms of what she's um, she's been involved in early childhood education in a political sense for quite a while. Um, we'll talk a bit about the implications of for early childhood about uh, Kate Ellis no longer being in that position. Um, and then we um, we were having an, a, a debate just before we started recording about whether we call it the favourite or most important memory of Kate Ellis. So we can flip between the two either way. But um, that's the that's the sort of main schedule of uh, works for tonight. But um, let's start looking at, like, as we sort of said, every single opinion uh, writer in Australia has had, a, has, had a, has had a hot take on this. So we may as well add our own two cents in. So, I mean, I guess the big question is, what is it? And, and I guess I should preface this by saying we might not talk specifically about early childhood in this first bit and just talk maybe just in general about politics. This is a political podcast and we will be talking early childhood for the rest of the topic. But what about what is uh, people are asking the question about, well, you know, what does it mean for politics that um, Kate Ellis has decided she's resigned um, and, and, and has sort of stated one of the reasons as to, to, to grossly paraphrase, you know, to, um, to be more to spend more time with her family. She's saying that the, the being a, um, a minister, being a, a minister or a shadow minister at MP has um, has had a detrimental impact on that. What, what what does this sort of say for the state of politics in Australia at the moment? 
I don't think it says anything about the state of politics. I think it says something about the state of working, you know, which is what Leanne was kind of talking about, that, you know, women have to make these decisions every minute from when they get pregnant to when they have a baby to when their child starts school to whatever. They've got to make these decisions that means it's either one or the other. It can't be both. And that's sad. And I think we need to remember that um, in case people haven't heard, Kate announced today that she's in fact pregnant again. Yes, so congratulations, uh, Kate. And uh, yeah. it's David Pempathy, Pem- Pem- is that his name? I can never yeah. remember. Yeah. So that's uh, congratulations to start with. But um, the, yeah, that, that must have been a fairly a big factor in the decision as well, I guess, before it came out. Leanne, are you there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I find this such a difficult um, area to make comment on because I, you know, I think it's you get very personal about it, don't you think? You, you get this very personal reflection and I remember kind of in terms of advising uh, younger staff at my former workplace about their their decision making and I I reckon I had a lot of people sitting in my office with a tissue box um, making decisions about family and so I find it very difficult to um, make comment on it in the way that it is structured the way that we structure work and family now and I suppose that 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 I'll come back to that when I talk about my recommendation so, I, I, yeah, it's difficult. I don't think I'm going to be able to find the words to talk <laughs> about this one, to be honest, because I, I've i often found it very difficult to make those decisions myself. And, um, and yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> not very articulate, is it? It is a really emotional thing. I can't. I, I think at some stage when she announced it, Leanne, I actually messaged you and said I'm in tears. Mm. Now I'm not in tears because I want Kate Ellis to remain in the portfolio. I'm not in tears because you know she's leaving and I'm going to be devastated. I was just in tears that women constantly have to make that decision between the pull of their children and, you know, and working and contributing or contributing to our public, um, you know, to our public discourse, to, you know, managing our country. Like, it's such a pity that people, like so many people, like Julia Gillard, like um, Gladys Berejiklian, like, um, you know, Julie Bishop have chosen or situations have been that they don't have children and yet and and then people come in who have children or, um, you know, get pregnant while they're doing it. Um, Greens Minister Louisa Walters is also having, a uh, Green Senator, sorry, is also having another baby at this time that was announced, I think, on IWD. And it's just like, why does it have to be so hard? It's, it's only... Con- yeah, it's such a contested area and I think that's why the discussion is very, very difficult about it. But it is, yeah, it it is hard and I don't know whether we make it harder here or in Australia. I don't know. No, I think it's probably that hard, you know, mm. in many places. But... Yeah, I think mm. it's, I mean, it's obviously... Um... Uh, it's hard for me to have a um, have a very useful perspective on it, given. Um, but you're a father. You've got to leave your children, who I know you love yeah. very much, every day, and go to work. Yeah, but that's accepted. So I think what, but that's that's normal. So that's I don't have to face the issues that I'm sure Kate Ellis and you know the, would. You know the secret, Liam. It's not that it's not accepted. We're allowed to go to work now. In fact, our government wants us to go to work. <laughs> But what is really, you know, like what does mean is that we're not allowed to actually want to be with our babies. And like, you know, it 
It's binary. It's, Nobody it's wants other. to leave their baby. You know, like no matter how much you want to go to that job to get away from them, you want to be with that baby. And that's what you've been programmed to do. No, and that's just sad. Yeah, yeah, I think... I, and I think I think you're right, Liam. It's not binary, and I think that's I think I think you've in, encapsulated the the whole sort of thing on it is that it's not. Some people have this, you know, have experienced it in this way. Others experience it in that way, and I, I think, you know, in everybody's um, working life doesn't matter whether they're men or women they've been grateful to sit at that desk and be productive they've been grateful to have that um you know whether they have children or not they've been grateful to to have a coffee um and and not admit to being grateful you know without (laughs) a child around you know there's all all of those things but they're if you're fortunate to feel grateful about going home and having that experience with your family as well so i think that there's there's so many different elements of it that it is it, the complexity is yeah amazing. The only two things I want, before we sort of move on to the early childhood specific stuff is so most of my thinking on this was informed by reading. Um, there was a, just so, there were so many articles on this topic. I just sort of read them, and the two things that probably stood out to me was one um, the discussion about the need to sort of modernise Parliament. So it's kind of madness in 2017 yeah. that that we still we you know everyone has to come together you know two weeks at a time to yell at each other and not accomplish very much in Parliament for mm-hmm. show. Um, you know, and a sort of very you know masculine model of you know combative parliaments. Um, that, just that, an old-fashioned model. It is. It just you know, it, it might have worked for the ancient Greeks. Exactly. And Romans, if but... you were starting from scratch now, this is not the way you'd do it. Um, mm. Which affects you know mothers and fathers, and you know people with families generally. And then the other just thing, which I, I I'm not articulate enough to talk about, but the the, the notion that. And, and the reason why Kate Ellis herself wrote an article sort of saying I don't want this to be a women's issue is that um, everything then becomes – so this this announcement, which, you know, uh, we, Kate, we, I think we have to take Kate at her word in terms of why she's done, why she's, why she's done it, but everything then becomes filtered through um, – you know, becomes filtered through this issue. So I – if that, if that makes sense. So instead of it just being a normal sort of resignation announcement – it, it, it becomes 10 times as more important or more, you know, terrifying or more scary, depending on where you sort of sit on the spectrum, than that I imagine, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm being incredibly inarticulate, I don't have anything to comment on that, but I just think it's, it's interesting that wouldn't be the case if it was a, you know, a male uh, shadow minister resigning. Yeah, that, that's right, and I honour your inarticulateness, uh, Liam, <laughs> because I feel exactly the same way, but I we may recall that um, Mike Baird, uh, the New South Wales Premier, resigned for family reasons. Uh, well, we weren't podcasting at that time because we were having holidays. <laughs> However, I don't think we would have talked as much no. about it as we have about this, um, you know, this other yeah. contested area. And it, it is gender oriented. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Maybe we're all inarticulate tonight, right? <laughs> Which is good for a <laughs> podcast. Trying to pull out words. No, I, I, look, you know, I, I can be articulate about it, but I just think it's it's just, like, it's it's horrifying that our parliament has only had, you know, childcare in the last, what, eight years, ten years? It's horrifying that... It's only recently that um, breastfeeding mothers have been able to bring their babies into, yeah. you know, the chamber. It's horrifying that we expect our politicians to sit till 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, it's madness. It's horrifying that we'd expect anyone to be away from their family, you know. Yeah. It's horrifying that all of this happens. And you know what the other thing is, which... But it's also horrifying in that some little girl yeah. has probably seen this and gone oh well i can't be a politician and the other thing is that no, just before we well yeah I, I, want, I want to get on to the early childhood stuff or we'll be here till god knows when but the other thing that i think annoys everyone is the kind of hypocrisy so the announcement is made and then politicians of every political party persuasion come out and say lovely things about her but then but that's not reflected in what's happened in parliament on a day-to-day basis which is everyone yelling at each other and being really horrible that it is why can't that discussion be? Why does it take Kate Ellis resigning to them to the, for there to be a reasonable and sensible discussion about making this work for people? But I think that some others have have um, made, made not made it work. Some others 
it does work for them. So we have to remember that there are there are um, mothers in Parliament who have of their stories. I'm sure are quite diverse, and and there's the equal, there's the pool, and there's all of those things. But in some ways, some of that has worked. So it'd be interesting to look at those stories. Sarah Hanson Young has. Um, I remember she talked about having the the um, a playpen. Oh, we shouldn't have those in um, <laughs> baby jail. In in her office, but uh, yeah. So I and Amanda Rishworth had her husband there looking after the baby. You know, in her office. Yeah. So there's there's different ways that people have done it, and again, it gets back to that it, it that it isn't either or. There are different yeah. ways that people do it or choose not to do it, and yeah. I've, yeah. Inarticulate, inarticulate, inarticulate. There All we go. right. Well, let's try and be a bit more articulate about the stuff we know quite well, which is the early childhood stuff. So um, I guess really... I think the problem is we do know that stuff well. That's, <laughs> That's the problem. The other stuff we know nothing about. <laughs> so we can, it's just it's false you know, bravado and I confidence. had it really, really good when my children were young. You know why? My then partner and I worked together. He um, owned a business and we both worked in it. And our children came with us from the very first day. How's that from luxury? Mm. Wow. And what did they do while they were there? Was it a high-quality early childhood Were there any baby jails? Um, they had about 20 adults waiting hand and foot on them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no child left behind. It's good yeah. ratios, Lisa. <laughs> Yeah, All right. Well, that's let's needed ratio. As, um, almost as good as Brangelina. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's so let's move on to talking about. I guess. Um, I guess the best way to talk about this is Kate Ellis' legacy in terms of that. You know, as she's moving on, she's been associated with the early childhood portfolio um, basically since she became a cabinet minister. Um, and you'll both correct me if I get any of the dates wrong. I should have done a little bit of research for tonight, but I, 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 I've I figure... done research. Do you want me oh, to do it? Yes, Lisa. I do, and yes. I can do it too. So I'll give you the buzz if you get it wrong. <laughs> All right, over to you two. Me hours of research to get this right. <laughs> and what I found really interesting is the changes to her title while she's been. I thought that it. too. I thought oh, there's a little from? bit of morphing. Okay, so basically, um, you know, she um, took over from Maxine McHugh. The um, Rudd was elected in um, 2007, at the end of 2007, and Maxine McHugh was the Early Childhood Education Minister. Then Kate no, she was the Parliamentary Secretary. Oh, Parliamentary Secretary, yeah. sorry. Okay, was that a bzzz time? Yeah, that was bzzz. Okay. <laughs> Then Ju- um, in June 2009, Kate Ellis was appointed as the Minister for Early Childhood Education, Childcare and Youth. She but had various other right. portfolios, but I'm only concentrating on the childcare part of her portfolio. In September 2010, she became the Minister for Employment, Participation and Childcare. Now, that's really weird timing, and I don't remember believe- understanding that she'd suddenly became about employment participation and childcare and that that early childhood education had left her title. Maybe I did know it at the time, but I can't remember it. Um, And then in July 13, until the election, when they got defeated, she was the Minister for Early Childhood and Childcare. Like, why did (laughs) they keep changing? Yeah. And in 2013, they were d- defeated, and she's been the shadow minister every ever since. But again, she's had a change. She started <laughs> off as the shadow minister for early childhood. So, yeah, she was looking after children, childhood. And then in July 2016, she became the shadow minister for early childhood education and development. Oh, Did she have to get a new like business card that. every time that happened? Oh, she must have. What a waste of time and effort. <laughs> and I think the other important thing to remember is for the fir- that, that when she first became a minister, she was lumbered with having to bloody work with Peter Garrett because he had some nominal responsibility for early childhood. He was, ed- he was education and and early but, childhood was a, a you know junior ministry in that portfolio. That's right. Yeah. He, yeah, she, yeah he, she, she quickly became much better at that stuff than he did. Well, yeah, sure. I think he 
had the background. He was very busy blue sky mining and stuff. So. <laughs> but um, burning beds. Yeah, she's 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 been she's been circling around early childhood for a while. But I think um, you know the key. To the, I mean the 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 big the big ticket item here is probably two big ticket items that um, I probably wanted to touch on, which was. Um, uh, which she did, uh, and just a shout out to someone else who was heavily involved would be Maxine McHugh, and also Julia Gillard, who was Education Minister, um, was and Jenny Macklin, and Jenny Macklin, was... yeah, was the development of the National Quality Agenda, which is you know, uh, you know, ten years on really from when it was first sort of, all, probably almost ten years from when it was first discussed. Um, we're now you know uh, very much in, um, and I think it's it's important to remember how big that reform was was bringing together you know all these disparate state and territory regs into one um, one requirement you know sort of mandating ratios. This was a huge reform that um, they successfully and look and they had a lot of um, uh, like minded state governments at the time. I think it was it was almost wall to wall labour when they did it. So politically they knew when to strike. But this was you know we, we look at where we are now and how hard it is to do proper reform in in, in Australia now god knows how many prime ministers later um i think you know separate to whatever else kate ellis has done or not done or what i'm happy or not happy with what any policy decision she's made she that is in and out of itself a very a very huge legacy to have and sitting alongside that, that that is the development of the national partnership agreement for early childhood education which is the guaranteed access to four-year-olds for for preschool so they're two very big um reforms she can she can hang her hat on so that that was, they were the days of reform, Liam. The day look, the light you know, on the hill was still there. When we look back romantically, I know. At what re- what reform actually was, because now the reforms that we've got that are proposed are the pimple on the bottom of reforms. Back really when Friday, back when. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a metaphor! <laughs> back when prime ministers lasted a whole term. Yeah, this crazy, the, crazy the old real days. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that they. Um, it, it kind of seems strange to look back. They weren't. I mean, it, it, I mean, I was. I, I'm trying to think what I was doing back then. 2007. I would have been a team leader. I think in the early childhood centre. Still been at school. No, I was busily beavering away, team leadering somewhere. But um, I, I was still nerdy enough to be following this stuff. But I just don't remember. I don't think there was any contention about it at all. Was have I completely forgotten this, or does it just says it just disappeared into the dim and distant past? But it was, you know, very reasoned reform. It was put out there and and sort of passed without much of a fuss. Am I right, or is that is that what happened? I, I think there was a there was considerable work done, but I yeah. think in terms of it, it was such a big, beautiful set of. Um, reforms that with all of the evidence and with all of the social purpose that oh no it wasn't it was just the (laughs) fact that it was a Labor government in every bloody state and territory (laughs) no I don't agree with that because there was some disagreement there I don't don't completely agree with you Lisa Bryant (laughs) how unusual I like to think of the halcyon days of social policy mm. when things were meant for people rather than for the economy. <laughs> Leanne, the if, tooth fairy doesn't exist. If you're just going to talk crazy, neither talk, does Leanne. the Easter Bunny. <laughs> you're breaking me. You're breaking me. <laughs> but um, so there, you know, I think um. Yeah, so there would definitely have been some behind-the-scenes shenanigans going on, but, you know, the fact that we're still, we still very much exist. And I think one of the, the key things to think of, you know, is when the 2013 election rolled around after, you know, that revolving door of prime ministerships and um, we had Susan Lay as the shadow minister and then ministers, that there was a real threat that they were going to wind back the NQA. But the work that I think uh, Kate Ellis and her colleagues did at that time had made it so... Uh, they made it. They were able to withstand that political pressure, and that is still with us today. And they're um, they're they're sort of uh, fantastic, very big ticket achievements for for Kate Ellis to to rest her to um, yeah as she as she ponders what she's going to do after her um, her term finishes probably next year. Well done. And then probably, probably want to take up a gig. With well, the early education show. Well, maybe. Well, we, we're going to have a bit of a chat about what she might do later on. But um, the, the, the seat is always open. 
I'll, I'll yeah. hopefully vacate the seat if she can do the, the producing and editing as well. Uh, I thought you might bump Lisa or I off, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only other thing I wanted to just, just say this wasn't a total love-in, because um, we sort of talked about things we agreed or disagreed with, um, I think it's worth touching on in the dying days of the, um, the Labor government when um, uh, they'd gone back to... Was this after they'd gone back? Was the, uh, sorry, I'll, t- I'll say what I'm talking about first and try and remember who was Prime Minister at the time because that's always the hardest part. Um, the Early Years Quality Fund was announced right towards the end of the of Labor's second uh, term in government, um, which was basically a, a fund that would be available to 30% of the early childhood sector on a on a first-in, first-dressed basis that was supported by United Voice. I've written publicly about my complete abject horror about this this policy and this uh, pot of funding. I don't want to necessarily go hugely into it here. I'm not also entirely sure how involved Kate Ellis was with this. It was... It, oh, it, it was a very... Well, I could, yeah. Yeah, I've got a strong memory of this because it, it was um, part of the big campaign that United Voice ran yeah. where they did cost how much it would be for every yeah. educator to receive. 1.4 billion, increase. was that right? I remember that figure yeah. being floated yeah, around a lot. That's yeah, that's right. And I think what happened, although you maybe you were going to say this, Liam, so I might let you kind of talk well, about I was, it instead uh, yeah. of in. I was going to say this was, you know, this was, this was, I do not doubt anyone's intentions in this. I think this was, and I think we talked last week about Bill Shorten's uh, press conference with Kate Ellis and um, United Voice where he talked about the importance of early childhood educators. I think this was at a difficult political time for Labor when they were clearly um, on course to lose the next election um, and potentially replace another, you know, sort of leader of the party. I think they were looking at, you know what they could, what they could do in this space when they probably didn't have a lot of money to throw around, or that they could reasonably throw around, um, and also the acknowledgement that the the early childhood uh, wage dispute at the end of the day is going to need to be solved in fair work to ensure that it actually lasts and isn't a short term thing. But um, it was very, it was, it was, it was a mistake, and I think. I don't think anyone's ever come out and admitted that, but you know every you know independent report, and I know the Price Waterhouse Coopers did a report, so this was very poor policy. And the idea that you know you would have thirty percent of the sector, you know, getting additional wages and seventy percent not, just you know, see, it just I'm I'm not sure how that ever got past anyone that that, that they thought that would be you know an appropriate way to, to for for government money was, to be I, spent. I think it was a like a a, a sort of. Um, you know, piecemeal um, offering to to open the door then because the money, that that whole whatever it was, $1.3 billion, everybody yeah. knew that that wasn't ever going to be possible. And I think this was just almost like a gift for the unions in a way to, to mm. open that door and, and see what, what was possible um, and also a bit of a desperate, last desperate bid as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it was it was there was a fair amount of politics involved in that, but um, uh, it, it just it, it was an, it became an absolution muzzle because then because the Labor government budgeted for it and put it into legislation, but then they lost the election and the coalition then would not refused flat out to spend it on wages. They couldn't think of anything worse than um, the spending money on people's wages, and so turned it into the and so the. The, so the other reason I wanted to point to this is because you can't directly blame, I guess, Kate Ellis or the Labor Party for this, but what this led to was the fund, the LDCPDP, so the Long Daycare Professional Development Fund. Instead of the money being spent on wages, it was spent on professional development for the entire sector, with the exception of Good Start Early Learning, who did No, receive... no, no. It's not the entire sector. It's Long uh, Daycare. So long Daycare. So... Sorry. Yep. So my, my biases are showing there. So the entire Long Daycare sector, which was all the... EYQF well, no, was going to tackle and, as well. And again, Liam, you're going to be corrected again. Oh, which no. Is that two in yeah. one sentence? Yeah. Two mistakes in one Just sentence? Just get yeah. used to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because there was a percentage of services that were put outside the Long Day Care PDP fund because... They did actually receive. Yes, I just their started saying money. that, Leanne. Oh, sorry. I was just sorry. about to say that. So, Good Start and and and, and some other. They mostly mostly uh, yeah. Good Start Early Learning and some small uh, providers. Due to the, I, I think it literally came down to something as stupid as when they got their applications in. 
it was it was an insane period of time that policy no one knew what was happening with it but they did receive short-term wage increases for only a very short period of time and it was a very contentious battle for them to get that um the rest of the money was redistributed to the ldc pdp and the reason i'm sort of saying that is because i think you can Look, people would make the argument government would have done this anyway, but I think you can you can draw a bit of a line from the government saying, well, we're spending all this money on professional development. We won't refund the PSCs, which was a you yeah, know, which we also, which we might have which we might have brought up on this line. podcast. That's a whacking huge yeah, line. Yeah, I look, I think you, I, yes, I, it is, but I I think you could probably sensibly make the argument as they would have done that anyway. But this just gave them a bit of cover for them to do it. And I think um, that it also made some huge changes to the way that PSCs ran. Yeah. So it created a whole new layer of um, sort of implementation issues and did make the PSCs less effective as well because yeah. of those, because of adjusting to those um, implementation issues. So it, it kind of undermined its own good program. Yeah. And yeah. and created more problems. Yeah. So I think we can agree, you know, there's two very huge big ticket legacy items that we are, you know, as, as an early childhood sector, incredibly grateful for Kate Ellis for, which is, you know, National Quality Agenda and the National Partnership Agreement and um, probably something that was um, probably some, a lot of people making a lot of mistakes from start to finish with the EYQF, but with the best of intentions. And, and what I would say is that, you know, in, in opposition, Kate Ellis has been one of the most strident advocates for um, the respect and valuing of early childhood educators. And, you know, I was at the press club speech she gave last year where she talked, um, yeah, really inspirationally about how, you know, that needs to be addressed. So, um, and I think it, which might um, segue to... Just her understanding, sorry, Liam, before you go, her clear understanding of the link between wages and quality provision. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, but that might take us into the implications, I guess, for early childhood and, and, and probably the Labor Party in terms of Kate Ellis um, leaving the early childhood space. So as we said, she, she's announced that she won't stand at the next election, so she will still be in Parliament for at least um, probably a year and a half. Um, it seems very likely, though, that uh, Bill Shorten will reshuffle the front bridge, so she will. I, I very much doubt she'll be keeping that. Uh, shadow ministry for much longer um so in in opposition i think um you know outside of some of the ridiculous uh, politics that was happening towards the end of labor's term in government she's um become a very uh, clear and concise advocate for what for, for early childhood i don't think we have a specific policy position for labor that's quite where i'd like it to be but they she, um, she has driven and, and she has driven i think a great deal of internal change within labor about positioning themselves on this space so i and guess she just has knowledge after he, that long this is the thing from yeah, 2009 so, on she understands the insides out you're not yeah. dealing with a, a shadow minister that you know, you have to explain exactly. what the NQF is. Yeah, which I think you know? is, is something. Now that that's not going to be happening, I think we're gonna I, we're gonna start regretting that's not that we hadn't we hadn't valued uh, probably Kate Ellis a bit more before. So I mean, that's the direct question for me: is who who within Labor can pick up this this baton? I don't I, don't, I actually don't know whether there is. I think this is actually going to be a huge, oh, huge Liam. Issue. It's simple all you've got to do is find a chick with a baby <laughs> so you know the two people they're looking at amanda rishworth and claire o'neill they've both got babies they're both chicks so either of them will do it yeah oh it's yeah just like journos who have families and babies get to write about childcare as yeah. well yeah yeah yeah, so not to not to beg Kate Ellis to stay or anything. She obviously made her decision, but I I actually do think this is a big. Where I think the 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 best outcome for the early childhood sector, um, and and not getting sorry, not uh, and not picking sides because I I'm not going to reveal how I vote on this podcast, but I, I will say um, it's actually for neither of the major major parties for the last little while. But being a realist, one of the two major parties is likely to form government at any given time. The obviously preference would be for a left-leaning on which we labour. Imagine if, you know, Kate, Kate Ellis, I think, would have been very likely if she'd continued, given how well she performed, to, to, to if Labor had formed government at the next election, to have taken the early childhood ministry. Imagine someone with her experience knowledge had served in that, both in government, had spent the time in opposition becoming 
you know, probably the, the chief expert within the Labor Party on early childhood. Imagine if we could have had her as the minister for early childhood. I reckon there is a lot that could have been done really effectively. And I think there's actually, this is, I'm not entirely sure what happens from here with Labor because, you know, the Cadillus's and Labor's plan during this term of Parliament was to conduct a consultation tour. Uh, will that still happen? You know, who will be running that? And what will, and, you know, will Cadillus be involved in that? I think it, there are a lot of big questions about what this will mean for early childhood um, in terms of Labor policy and in terms of politics for Australia. Mm. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. I don't think we probably have much <laughs> to discuss on that. I think it's probably just the big question mark until we know what's sort of happening in that space. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we might um, desperately attempting to keep us uh, to a normal time length. Um, do we want to each just say, um, and we can go either, we can either go favourite or most important sort of memory of Kate Ellis over, you know, her term in politics. Um, do we do we each have one? Are we putting each other on the spot here? I'm going to think of mine while yeah, one of you two can, goes I first. Can... Yeah, you go yeah, first, Lisa. I... Always found it really fascinating that whenever Kate spoke in public or on the floor of Parliament, she had a tremble in her voice. And the only time I've heard her speak anywhere when she didn't was when she was resigning. And I think <laughs> that um, we have to remember that when she went in, she was the youngest member of Parliament um, at that stage. Am I right there? I think I am. I think Paul, she and Paul Keating were the youngest yeah obviously okay. not at the same time <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i just think like i always wanted to say to her why are you so nervous you know you know your stuff you're really good at talking stop being so nervous but even you know the last speech she did last week um or whenever it was in parliament she had that tremble in her voice maybe that strong heartfelt emotion no, maybe it's just not being confident enough as a woman. Oh. <laughs> what about you, Leanne? Um, I've got two, but I'll be really quick. The One of them was the speech that um, she actually did in Parliament, I think it was about 10 days ago, which I thought was really powerful and hit every single high point in terms of early childhood education, which I absolutely loved. Um, that was fantastic, but probably uh, one of the other favourite moments was when um, a forum, she spoke at a forum, uh, which I think um, we might have arranged, and <laughs> she she was speaking uh, side by side with Susan Lee and who was the Greens? I can't remember who the Greens person was. But anyway, we put something in front of them because the NQF was a little bit sort of under question and we put a commitment in front of them. It was before the 20, oh, which election? I can't remember. 20, 2013, if it was Susan Lai. 13, yeah. And we put a commitment in front of them to say that they would stick with the NQF. And um, uh, Kate Ellis signed it with a flourish and had <laughs> photos with it. And it was beautiful. And Susan Lee pushed it across the table like it was a stinky you know, yeah. something horrible and refused to touch it, got up and left and left it behind. Oh. So that was one of my... Oh, it was um, Sarah Hanson-Young. Sorry, Sarah. Yeah, Hansen. that's who it was. Um, signed it as well. And it was just... I just thought it was a really beautiful moment. And I was very happy with that. Yeah, better. Yes, good on her. But um, I'd be a bit worried if she wouldn't sign it, given she was how involved she wasn't setting it up. That would have been yeah. a bit worried. Yeah. Um, mine really quickly is entirely selfish and self-serving as the, at the press club address last year. Um, after giving a really uh, interesting and provocative speech, I think, on the need to reframe the early childhood debate, she was willing to have some madman with his iPhone stuck out go up to her and say, Shadow Minister, can I interview you for this ridiculous podcast we're doing? And she said yes and let me badger her. And she remembered me, and I've annoyed her on Twitter, as I annoy a lot of people on various early childhood advocacy issues, I think, that you know, she she definitely did not have to do that, and I think it speaks to her ability to engage with um with advocates and be really willing to talk early childhood. I think um it does her credit, and I'm still somewhat grateful and shocked that she was willing to to. Well, I remember talk when the me. big steps people used to trail her around and pop up in front of her everywhere. Oh <laughs> God, I'm surprised she wants to talk to any of us. 
Um, the only other yeah the only other thing i'll say wrapping this up is i the i think the only positive for me about uh chaos vacating this political position is i i i think it's more likely than not that she will continue to be an advocate for early childhood education in australia and i actually think she may feel be able to speak more freely about what she thinks about early childhood um education when she's not uh, needing to maybe potentially tie a party line, which I think would be fantastic if she came out and became a, and continued her advocacy for early child education. Fingers crossed. Mm. <laughs> so I think that that would be nice. Yeah, no, I think we were about to we're going to wrap up the main topic, and but I think Lisa, did you have you you had a bit of a reflection on um, the recent Senate hearings? Is that right? Yeah. Look, um, anyone that follows me on Twitter would have heard me. Um, complaining quite bitterly about this but I just thought just harking back to last week's episode International Women's Day episode yeah yay go women um the day after that there was a senate hearing about the jobs no the about the omnibus bill that's what it's called now and I just thought people might like to know who represented um the uh the early education and care, 97% of us female sector. It was Mr. John Cherry from um, a Good Start, Mr. Bernie Knott from Australian Childcare Alliance, Mr. Paul Mondo from early, ch- uh, from, no, sorry, Bernie Knott is not from the Australian Childcare Alliance. He's um, the early learning and Care Council of Australia, that's all the big providers. Um, and Paul Mondo, who's the president of Early Childhood, uh, of Australian Child Care Alliance. Gee, I blew all of those ones, <laughs> didn't I? Anyway, um, and Sam Page, the CEO of Early Childhood Australia. So I just think we need to look at what we're doing in a sector where 97% of us are women when three blokes get up to give evidence at a Senate hearing on behalf of the sector. All right, so that wraps up our main topic for tonight. So farewell, I guess, to Kate Ellis. She will be with us for quite a while. I kind of see it's odd to be farewelling her now, but um, it's, I think it was good for us to spend a bit of an episode talking about her legacy in early childhood. But we will move on quickly through our recommendations um, for the week just so uh, we're not all here too long. So, Leanne, do you want to kick us off? What are you bringing us this week? Um, my article was one of the ones that we've actually pretty much almost mentioned, which is um, – so I'm, I'm not going to say anything more about it because I reckon I've said enough. And similarly, I'm not going to say anything about mine because mine are about um, uh, vaccination, two alternative takes on it. And just go read them. We've already, you've already heard what we reckon. Just oh. go read them. Well, mine is a little bit new, but it's um, just uh, we, it's probably just worth reading the article rather than me going through it. But it's from the UK and talks about um, some research has been conducted about the equality of access to early childhood education um, in Europe, which I just found really interesting, mainly because the, 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 the countries that we generally assume do really well, such as Denmark and Norway, actually don't necessarily come out too well in this one, which kind of surprised me. But um, it's basically looking at attitudes to equality and um, in accessing early childhood. And given that's a big topic of discussion in Australia with these reforms at the moment, I just found it quite interesting. But um, yeah, I don't think we're going to talk about these much. You just go off and read them yourself, people, and feel free to hit us up on Twitter. If you want to, um, if you want us to, to go into any more depth on them, but so we'll um, we'll give our usual shout outs, particularly to our supporters on Patreon. We are so grateful for those who are giving um, their financial support to the show. So if you do want to support the show, um, you can either give us a rating or review on iTunes. That helps um, other people find the show. But um, you can also now support the show um, with your hard earned money for as little as one dollar a month. Um, which uh, is great. It means we can do, we can sort of grow the podcast and do more fun things. And we can actually now sort of officially announce how we've sort of spent the first uh, round of money that people have sent us, which is setting up a much nicer looking website than our current one. So from this day forward, you can now head head to earlyeducationshow.com. It's all a bit light and basically at the moment, we're hoping to add some more fun things to it as we go along. But um, it's a a little nicer to look at. 
com website? We've got a, we're a dot com now. We're we're all grown up and professional now. Shouldn't we be in dot org? As in not no, for... no, because no? we we no, because we haven't got not for profit status. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, you can't. It doesn't matter whether you make one dollar a month or a <laughs> gazillion dollars a month. Basically. You just can't get it. You can't buy your not for profit status I've anymore. Never, I've never been associated with a dot com. Oh, well, you're in the big leagues now, Lisa. What's happening? All this profit for purpose. Thank you, Liam, for be, giving us a beautiful, beautiful website too, Liam. You're amazing. Oh, no, amazing. I was gonna, no the thanks he goes to us. clever, isn't he? For an early childhood educator, he's got a good design skills. Mm. He could become a designer if he can't hack it anymore. I'll give you a hint, because it's not that hard. You just they, they do most of it for you. But um, the thanks really needs to go to our to our Patreon supporters. They've helped us there to uh, to to pay for that site. So we are we are endlessly grateful and um, we are always willing to accept more um, support. So please head over to patreon.com forward slash early edgy show um, if you like what you're here and wanna wanna sort of keep this uh, keep this show on the roll. Um, you can get in touch with the show a variety of ways. You can email us at early edgy show at gmail.com um, you can find the show on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Early Edgy Show you can also hit each of us up individually and we welcome it on Twitter uh, you can find me at Liam McNicholas and me at Lisa J. Bryant and me at Leanne M. Gibbs 3 yay you got it right <laughs> so until we are back with you next week we hope you uh, all have um, wonderful days ahead but um, until then it's bye from me and for me, and for me. Um, that is the main bulk of our show for tonight. We'll do our normal, um, our normal shout shout outs and a big, a big thanks to all our support. Lisa, are you yawning? <laughs> I heard that too. You forgot to do the mute button. <laughs> I'm sorry, people. It's not that you're not a fascinating audience. You're such a fascinating audience. I'm going to redo it's, it. It's us. She's finding boring, Liam. That's hilarious. Hang on. No, I didn't sleep last night after the oh, show. Of course, of course. I am. You realise I am going to put that in a blooper at the end, though, Lisa. <laughs> uh, when was that about? About one o'clock. One o'clock? One hour. God. It's one a.m. That's why it's so bad. Lisa, bored by Liam's ranting. Got it. All right. Okay.